Okay, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, we're going to have to move a little bit fast now. Right? Going to make your pizza halal, inshallah. Mm. Bottom of page 16. O my dear beloved son and disciple, get zeal in respect of the ruh. The word here is being ruh. Have himma in your ruh. Himma means strength, determination, willpower. Zeal, have strength and determination. Himma with regard to your ruh. Be strong and persevere in nourishing your ruh. And you have to control and dominate and submit or make submissive, subjugate, but it can subdual in respect of your ego. You have to make your nafs, your ego is nafs. You have to make your nafs submit to the will and wish of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Mortification in respect of body, this is a slightly awkward English will motafil badani. In other words, remember that your physical body is going to die. As far as your physical body goes, remember that it's just created to die. As far as your nafs goes, know that it's created to subdue itself to the will and wish of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And as far as your ruh goes, you have to have himma, you have to make it strong for the sake of Allah. For your destination is the grave and the people of the graves expect you at any moment to meet up with them. In other words, that you are also going to become of the Ahlul Kubur. Your actual real home is the cemetery. Your real neighborhood is the neighborhood of your grave in the graveyard. That's really where you're going to be going. Beware, beware lest you meet up with them without provision. Lest you join that caravan of people who have left this world and the journey for thereafter without having made adequate preparation, without adequate provisions for that journey. Top of page 18, Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq said, These bodies are a cage for birds or a stable for beasts. This would remind you of the hadith, Nabi Karim said, That the world is a prison for the believers. And again, remember, or I should explain to you that in terms of our deen, it's not just about the wordings of the words or the meanings of the words, it's all about the feelings of the words. Wordings of dunya usidna mu'min. Meaning, the world is a prison for the believer. You have to feel like that. That's what the Prophet is saying. It means you're not a mu'min until you view this world like as a prison. If you view this world as a playground, if you view this world as a joyride, if you view this world as a place to get your pleasure, you're not feeling the hadith. You may be knowing the hadith, you may be understanding the hadith, but the purpose of is to feel hadith. That is what the sawaf does for a person. It takes a person from meanings into feelings. Who are the ulama of the wordings of Qur'an? They're called qurra. Who are the ulama of meanings of Qur'an? They're called mufassirun. And who are the ulama of the feelings of Qur'an? They're called awliya. This is the understanding. Qurra, mufassirun, awliya. To feel this. So Sayyidina Bakr Siddiqui is also commenting like that. This, these bodies are either a cage for birds or a stable for beasts. They're a cage for the bird because the bird yearns to leave the cage. The bird flutters about in the cage. The bird flutters in the cage. In Quran, إِنَّمُ الْمُؤْمِنُونَ إِذَا ذُكِرَ اللَّهُ وَجِلَتْ قُلُوبَهُمْ That indeed the believers are such that when Allah subhanahu wa mentioned, their hearts flutter. That's the bird in the cage in the metaphor of the sawaf. It's the metaphor of Quran. That the qalb, the spiritual heart, is the bird in the cage of this body. 
And it's just yearning to make the journey to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Like the Arabs used to say in Proverbs, Al-Mawtu Jasnun, Yusilul Habibi ilal Habib. Yusilul Habiba ilal Habib. That death is a bridge, it simply brings one lover to their beloved. That's how they view. That's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran in many places, Man yalju lika Allah, that person who yearns to meet Allah. <laughs> that person who yearns to meet Allah is going to view this life as a cage. So either the body is a cage for a bird or it's a stable for the beast. Instead of having the kalb, which is the bird, this person has the nafs, which is a beast. And then they view this place just as a pasture ground, a grazing ground. They take their nafs for any pleasure that the nafs wants. Think about yourself, Imam al-Wazali is addressing the student, and think about yourself, which of them are you? If you're one of the heavenly birds, when you hear the sound of the drumbeat of irji'i ila rabbik, if you have nafsul mutma'inna, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala calls upon you, you become the murad of Allah, the mutlub of Allah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala yearns for you. That's what it means in Quran. Allah ta'ala is so, has so much yearning and craving. He says, Ya ayyitahan nafsul mutma'inna. Oh, that nafs who is content with my hukum. And by means of that has got itminan, irji'i. Irji'i ila rabbiki. That return to your Rabb, radiyatam marziyya, pleased with him and pleasing to him. So if you're one of those heavenly birds, this is the metaphor. That if you have that type of spirit inside you, that type of kalb, so when you hear that, you will fly upwards. This is a call Allah subhanahu wa makes. It's Quran, this isn't figurative, it's also literal. Allah subhanahu wa will literally address certain people with this kalam. This khitab, Ya And that person who hears that, maybe consciously, maybe subconsciously, they will feel that same yearning. They will fly upwards until they roost on the highest towers in the gardens. Means they will go to the highest level of Jannah. Top level of Jannah, Jannatul Firdos, which is the Jannah where all of the Anbiya and Mursaleen will be. Means they will be Abadi Sahabi. They will be eternal Sahaba. They will live in the eternal company and suhbah of Nabi Kareem sallallahu alayhi wa sallam for all time. Nabi Kareem sallallahu alayhi wa mentioned in a hadith this is about uh, Sayyidina Sa'ad ibn Mu'ad radiallahu ta'ala anhu Ahtazza arsh rahman Arsh means the th- throne they call it in English of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah knows best what the kursi and the arsh are. Right? Okay? That it trembled it shivered, it quivered when Sayyidina Sa'ad ibn Mu'ad died. It means out of love. It was had so much love for him. And Allah forbid if you were one of the beasts. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in Quran, أُولَٰئِكَ كَالْآنْآمُ أُولَٰئِكَ كَالْآنْآمُ بَلْهُمْ أَذَلْ They're like beasts. بَلْهُمْ أَذَلْ They're like animals. Non-spiritual humans are described in Quran. They're like animals. Balhum Azal know they're even a base level, lower levels of creation than animals. They're even lower creatures. That they are the ones who are heedless of Allah. Let yourself not feel safe from being removed from the corner of your home to the chasm of hellfire. How do you know that you will die in a corner only to end up in a pit? <laughs> Unless we've made ourselves such that we feel this. It's related that Hassan al-Basra was given a drink of cold water so he took the cup and he fainted. And he dropped the cup dropped from his hand. When he came to, when he came back to his consciousness, he was asked, 
So what happened? Abu Sa'id, Abu Sa'id was the kunya of Hassan of Basri. So he replied, I recall the longing of the people of Hellfire when they will say to the people of Jannah. And again, this is from Quran. An afidu alayna min al-ma'i aw mimma razakkakumullah. They give us some of that water that you have or some, something that Allah SWT has given to you in Jannah. So he started thinking, look, I have this cold water in my hand today. What if I end up in Jahannam and I have no access to water? What if I'm among those people who are yearning and begging the people of Jannah to give them some water? These were the people who were zakirin. They remembered Allah SWT on everything. Even something so simple as getting a glass of cold water, they used it, they remembered Qur'an. Because they were always feeling feelings of Qur'an. You see, that's a different way of life. That to encounter everything in life while your heart is feeling feelings of Qur'an. That's what these people were. Allahu Akbar Kabeerah. Ya ayuhal walad, O my dear beloved son, student, disciple, if mere knowledge were enough for you, and you did not need deeds beside it, then why does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say a very famous hadith Qudsi, that Nabi Kareem sallallahu says that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Hal min sa'il, Hal min sa'il, is there anyone who is asking Allah for something? Hal min mustaghfirin, anyone who is seeking Allah's forgiveness? Hal min ta'ib, is there anyone who is repenting to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? This is that in the last third of the night, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes his call out. <coughs> Asking if anybody wants. So obviously ilm isn't enough. <laughs> Ilva, what, then what, why would Allah want to ask these questions if ilm was enough? It is related that a group of the Sahabi Kram radiallahu ta'ala anumajmain mentioned that Sayyidina Abdullah bin Umar radiallahu ta'ala And he mentioned this about him in the presence of Sayyidina Rasulullah And the Prophet some said about Sayyidina Umar, Ne'mudrajal, what an, a wonderful person he is. If only if only he had prayed tahajjud. Allahu Akbar. He would be he's a nice person, but what a wonderful person he would be if he prayed tahajjud. And it's, it continued this, Imam Zali is not continuing this, but it's narrated that Sayyidina Abdullah bin Umar, when he heard this, after that he never missed tahajjud. After he heard this, this is what the Prophet said when I was mentioned in front of him, but after that he never missed his tahajjud. And the Prophet said to one of the Sahaba, Ya Fulano, such and such, don't sleep a lot at night because a large quantity of sleep at night will make the person impoverished on the Day of Judgment. Allahu Akbar, think about this. Don't sleep too much because when you sleep, this is what they viewed, they viewed sleep as costing them, opportunity cost. <laughs> Asleep, and that's what they were thinking about. That if we sleep, we won't be able to spend the night in worship. We sleep too much means we worship too less. If we sleep too much, it means we worship too less. Ya Allah, my dear beloved son, student, disciple, and part of the night keep vigil. This is Quran Akrim. Wa min al-layli fatahajjat. Wa min al-layli fatahajjat bihi nafilatan lak. And that from part of the night keep Tahajjud, pray tahajjud, it's a nafil for you. It's nafil. It's optional. But who's telling you to do it? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Quran al Kareem. And the reason they're saying amrun in Arabic amr, it's sigai amr, it's imperative form. But tahajjud, 
is actually in sarf, in verbal conjugation, it's the imperative form, it's the command form. So that's what he meant in the Arabic here, he, the translator trans Amr and command, it means it's the sigha of Amr. It's the verbal conjugal form of the imperative form. Sometimes the imperative form comes for obligation, sometimes it can be used to strongly recommend something, even though it's nothing. To strongly recommend something, even if it's nothing. And then another ayah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions, Mubil asharihum yastaghfirun. Another ayah will mustaghfirin bil ashar. So what does this mean? That they used to spend, wake up in the middle of the night, spend that part of the night in ibadah, in tahajjud and worship, and then what would they do? They would make istighfar. <laughs> Allah Akbar. Were they doing some sin? No. <laughs> they were praying tahajjud. This was their adab towards Allah SWT. Today the young men and women can sin at night and they don't make istighfar at the dawn. <laughs> and these people used to pray tahajjud and make istighfar at the dawn. This is Quranic insan. This is Quranic mu'min. This Imam Ghazali is trying to bring ulama and anyone who eventually reads this to a state of Quranic humanity. That they hear that call, they feel that call from Allah, hal min sa'il, hal min mustaghfir. They rise up, they make their tahajjud, and what did they, how do they end that night? With istighfar. Allahu Akbar. Then uh, Imam Ghazali continues, that Nabi Kareem Sallallahu said, the three voices are beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Number one, cockadoodle do of the rooster. Right? The crowing. The crowing of the rooster at dawn. You will see that if you live in not in not an overly urbanized area, that the birds they wake up at the first they wake up in the end of the night in the earliest time of the dawn. And that's their dhikr. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in Quran. That every single thing, that there is nothing, no shay, no thing in the universe, except that it does the tasbih and hamd, the praise and glorification and praise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's their zikr. We may not be able to understand it. So Santa says, you won't be able to understand it. But that's their zikr. That's their ibadah. I mean, they're better than us. The voice of whom he recites the Quran, وَصَوْتُ الَّذِي يَقْرَأُ الْقُرْآنَ and the voice of those who ask Allah Ta'ala for forgiveness. These three things are three voices, three sounds. Actually, three sounds are beloved to Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. Look at Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. <laughs> Such a kind, loving Allah. He's saying the three beloved signs sounds to me. And here Imam Muzayi brought this because look, even the animal sound is beloved at that time. It's such a special time. Such a makbul waqt. That even the animal that is making zikr at that time, his sound is beloved to Allah. Allah Akbar. Sufyan Allah said that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created a wind blowing before daybreak, carrying invocations and prayers for forgiveness to Allah. So in other words, it's a metaphor that all these people who are making dua and zikr and istighfar, all of it is carried up to Allah. Allah Ta'ala hears it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hears it. And he also said at the start of the night, a crier calls from beneath the arsh. A crier means from the angels. And says, let the worshippers get up. So they get up and they pray however much Allah had willed for them. Then a crier calls at midnight. So start beginning of the layl. You can say beginning of Isha. Then a crier calls at middle of the night. So 12 a.m. is the middle between Isha and Fajr. And says, those who stand at length in prayer, they get up. Then they pray all the way up till the time of Tajjud. And then before Fajr, then a crier says, those who seek forgiveness, right? 
Those who seek forgiveness, let them get up. So they get up and seek forgiveness. And when Fajr starts, the crier calls out, let the heedless get up. This is what they felt. People who pray Fajr for them, that's ghafilin. <laughs> what does it mean? That they were ghafil anil layl. They were ghafil anil tahajjud. They were ghafil anil qiyam layl. They were heedless and neglectful and negligent of worship at night. They only woke up for Fajr. <laughs> Allah It's a different mentality. Today the wali is the one who prays Fajr. Allah Akbar, achieve. So they get out of their beds like the dead risen from their graves. They're so groggily getting up for Fajr. They neglected all of the treasures that were there at night. That's what they say. Imagine that millions of dollars were being given out at night and you got up and you just missed it. Hmm? You'd feel, you'd view yourself to be a fool. <laughs> so Allah SWT is giving trillions and trillions of spiritual dollars at night. <laughs> <laughs> trillions and trillions of spiritual dollars every night for anyone who wants it. Anyone who has to ask, that's it. And we sleep through it. <laughs> we sleep through it. Page 22. Ya Allah, my dear beloved son and student, in the advice of Luqman al-Hakim. Luqman al-Hakim. Different views about him. Was he a Nabi? Sayyidina Luqman alayhi salam. Was he a Wali? Sayyidina Luqman radiallahu anhu. Different views about Mufassirun about him. Surah in the Quran, Surah Luqman. And also in Hadith, additional mention of certain sayings of his wisdom. This particular one is not taken from Quran. This particular one is taken from Hadith. That's related that Luqman Lakim said, I don't know if he's getting it from Hadith or where exactly he's getting it from. Don't know that actually, I cannot say. That he told his son that, oh my son, but these are his advices he gives to his son. This is a standard theme in the sayings of Luqman al-Hakim salam. That my son, do not ever let the rooster be more canny than yourself. Don't be outwitted by the animal. And he gets up. <laughs> he gets up and calls onto his Lord in the wee hours of the daybreak. And you are sleeping. He calls out before daybreak while you are sleeping. And then Imam Zayf said that that poet has done well who spoke this verse. So this is the verse, the, the verse of poetry. A dove moaned frailly in the dark one night on a branch while I was sleeping. I have lied by the Ka'batullah, by Baytullah, by the house of Allah, were I a true lover. Then the doves wouldn't beat me in weeping. I claim that I am mad with love, fervent with longing for my Lord, yet I do not weep. And such animals are weeping means that he viewed himself, he realized, look at these animals. <laughs> they never missed their tajjud. <laughs> yeah, the rooster never, his whole life never misses tajjud once. Hmm? That bird never misses their tajjud once. And me, I'm sleeping through it every single night. Ya Allah, the essence of ilm, khulasatul ilm, the essence of knowledge is to know what obedience and worship are. The real fruit of ilm is to know what ta'a, what obedience is to Allah, and ibadah, what worship is to Allah. And then he says, no, this Imam Uzali talking, no, that obedience and worship are conformity to the lawgiver. Mutaba'atul shari'ah. Shari'ah is the name for Allah, the maker of sharia. The layer down of the law. To conform to the Sharia as given by the, us to the lawgiver as regards commands and prohibitions in both word and deed. 
That is, and explains, in other words, that all that you say or do, or that you do not say and do not do, should be following the model of Sharia. Everything should be according to Sharia. Such that, were you to fast on the day of Eid and Ayamut Tashriq, these are the days of drying the meat. Alright? Actually, that's why they had these days, they used to dry out the meat in the sun. There was no refrigerators then. <laughs> that's why there were these extra days and all these extra takbiyat that we commemorate. So if you fast on those days, you would be disobedient to Allah. You would be baghi, rebellious to Allah. Because the fasting itself is good, but to fast on Eid is against the commandments of Allah. He says you can't fast on Eid. And you can't fast on those days after Eid. So you have to comply to Sharia. Or if you prayed in a garment that was unlawfully acquired, in a clothing, apparel, that was not from a halal source of earning, though it may seem like you are worshipping, actually you are sinning. You are sinning. So these are some examples that are given classically in books of fiqh as well. Mali Muqzub, the misappropriated property, and fasting on the day of Eid. Page 24. Ya my dear beloved son and student and disciple, it is desirable for you that your speech and action, your qawl and your fi'l, that your words and your deeds be in accordance with sharia, muafiq and nishat, with sacred law. Since knowledge and action which are not modeled on sacred law are an error. And you must not be deceived. Okay, now we have to slow down. You should not be deceived on the ecstatic expressions of the Sufis. You should not be confused by the ecstatic expression called shathat, shathat, of the ecstatic expressions of the Sufis. Since travel on this path should be way by way of mujahada, mujahada, self-exertion, actually in Arabic mujahada, severing the ego's appetite, wakati shahwat nafs, killing the desires of the nafs. وَقَتْلِ hawaha And killing the passions of the nafs. بِسَيْفَ الْرِيَاضَةِ With the swords of self-discipline. Not by means of outbursts and useless statements. Alright. Now we need to explain some things to you. Ecstatic expressions. Most famous example of this, Mansur al-Halaj says, Anal al-Haq. Right? Some of you may have heard this. Mansur al-Halaj was an early Sufi. And he said the sentence, Anal Haq, that I'm Haq. I'm Al Haq, and Al Haq is Allah. So, what are these things? What are these shathat? What are these ecstatic expressions? What happens is that when a person goes deep into zikr, and by the way, in the entire history of the deen of Islam, you misunderstand this, in the entire history of the deen of Islam, which means billions and billions of Muslims, right now there are 1.2 billion Muslims. Right? 50, 100 years ago, there were a whole different 1 billion Muslims. So in the entire history of Islam, we're talking billions and billions of Muslims, in that there have only been about 5 or 7 out of billions and billions of Muslims, only 5, 6 or 7 people who went astray in this sense in the path of Tasawwuf. The reason I'm saying this is some people think that, okay, well, if Tasawwuf can produce somebody like Mansur al-Halaj, then maybe I should be careful Maybe the self is a bit shaky, right? Out of billions of Muslims, only a handful turned out like this. So I want to explain to you what happened. So Mansur al-Halaj started doing a lot of dhikr. 
he reached what the Quran of Kareem is called Tabattul. Allah Subhanahu wa says in Quran, Wadkur isma rabbik and make dhikr of the name of your Rabb, Wattabattal ilayhi tabtila. Tabattal. And lose yourself in all exclusiveness. Exclusively attach yourself to the dhikr of his name, tabtila, to the exclusion of everything else. So this is later on called fana. These are just terms. Terms change over time. For example, in the Qur'an, you will not find the word tajweed anywhere in the Qur'an. You will not find the word tajweed anywhere in hadith. Just like you won't find the word tasawaf anywhere in Qur'an, you won't find the word tasawaf anywhere in hadith. What is the word you will find in Qur'an? Tartil. Tartil. means to recite the Qur'an al-Karim properly, in a measured, proper fashion. Later on, they decided to call that tajweed. You will not find the kawaid of tajweed, the rules and principles of tajweed anywhere in hadith. Just like you won't find the kawaid of tasawaf anywhere in hadith. Later on, they decided to make principles and methodologies of how to get this tertil that they now chose to call tajweed. Just like tazkiyah is the word in Quran, later they called it tasawaf. Some people called it suluk, some called it ahsan. Word Asan is in Hadith. Later they made Kawaii, they made rules and principles and methodologies how to get these realities. When you change the label of something, you don't change its nature. You see, this garment that I'm wearing, you could call it Jumba, you can call it Thob, you can call it Galabiya, you can call it Kameez, you can call it Shirt, you could call it Robe. Would it make any difference? It is what it is. You're changing the label could not change what it is, right? That's why in the deen of Islam we are concerned with the realities, not with terminologies. Because terminologies can change over time. If the reality is okay, if the reality is not against the sharia, that's fine, whatever label you give it. And if the reality of that thing is against sharia, no matter what label you give it, it won't be acceptable. So Mansur al-Halaj, he said, An al-Haq. What happened? He was doing so much zikr that he entered the state of tabattu, which later people called fanan, later people called it fanai nafsi. It means that he lost all awareness of his own self. This is actually sunnah. Once Nabi Karim Sasam was in sajda in tahajjud, and Sayyidatna Aisha radiallahu narrates this, she said, I saw the Prophet he was insane, he wasn't getting up from sajda. So I got worried. Maybe something's happened, maybe he's even passed away. So she says, I reached out and I touched his pinky toe to feel hararat al-badan, to feel the body heat, to feel some harkat in his jism. And I realized that, okay, yes, he's still alive and then he came out of his sajda. So sometimes a person gets so absorbed in the remembrance of Allah, we're supposed to be like this. Nabi Kareem Salsam said in hadith, as-salatu mi'raj al-mu'min. <laughs> Every salah is supposed to be like this. All of you know the famous story of that Sahaba Mujahid, he's standing in Salah, he's getting arrows. He doesn't even know it. He doesn't know it. He's not even aware of his own self. He is lost in such a state of ibadah, he's not even aware of his own self. Mansur Halat entered this state. Sahaba used to be in this state sometimes. Zaghir Nabi can enter this state. Sahaba Zaghir Nabi. Another example, Sayyidina Rasulullah Sayyidina Aisha radiallahu narrates, that once the Adhan happened, and when the Adhan happened, Nabi Karim Sassam, he had an altogether different look on his face. Hmm? 
he had reached a different state of consciousness. And then he looked at me and he said, Mananti, who are you? <laughs> and I said, Ana Aisha, I'm Aisha. And he said, Man Aisha, who's Aisha? <laughs> and I said, Binti Abu Bakr, I'm the daughter of Abu Bakr. Then he, the Apostle said, Man Abu Bakr, who's Abu Bakr? And then she said, I realize that if he's forgotten Abu Bakr, his most beloved and closest companion, if he's forgotten Abu Bakr, he is in a temporary state right now in which he is not aware of anything around him. He is completely lost in the zikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Mansur al-Halaj entered that state. It's called mahav, fana, istighraq. That he annihilated himself, limited himself. No of his own desires, own wishes, only desiring what Allah desired. So when he came out of that state, experience, it's like when a person comes out of a dream. So if you had a dream, you would initially make, that's what shatat is, an utterance, an ecstatic utterance, an outburst. I'm in Makkah. You had a dream, right, that you were doing hajj. So you wake up, oh, I'm in Makkah. You weren't, it wasn't your aqidah that you were sitting in Makkah. You know you're sitting in your little home in Birmingham. <laughs> right? But because you were so lost in that experience, that's what you said. So when he had annihilated himself to zero, his awareness of himself was zero. His awareness of Allah Ta'ala was a hundred. So in outburst he said, Anal Haq. It wasn't, it wasn't in a statement of his aqidah that I am Allah. It was just an initial utterance he made. People heard it. People were sitting around him. also doing dhikr. They heard it. His own Shaykh, Shaykh Dineen Baghdadi Rehmullah. You did him earlier. Shaykh Mansur Halaj. His own Shaykh signed his death warrant. Said he will have to be executed for this because this is a type of apostasy. Even if he recanted from it later. Because we have to saddam lil We have to close the door. Lest anybody think that this is some acceptable view or some desired outcome of the Zawf. So Mansur al-Halaj gave his life for the integrity of the Zawf. <laughs> so that people would realize that this is not acceptable. And the irony and tragedies today, people use him in his statement to make it sound like the Zawf is astray. <laughs> his sheikh ordered his death warrant. He himself didn't contest it. For the sake of preserving the integrity of this, that one slip by one man should not tarnish the tradition. And today people use him and his example to tarnish that very same tradition. So Imam Ghazali knew this, so he was telling people that don't look at the outbursts of the people of the Sawaf. Don't look at an outburst that something a person makes, something they stay in a state of ecstasy. That's not their reality. That's not their real view of reality. So this is what Imam Ghazali is saying. Going back to this text. Know that the unrestrained... Similarly, Rabi al-Basriya, who once she walked around with a pail of water and said, I'm going to put... And she walked around with a big log, a branch full of fire. And she said, those people who are worshipping for the sake of Jannah, I set fire to the Jannah. And those people who are worshipping because they are afraid of Jannah, I pour water on those fires. This was also, she was nakis, she wasn't kamil. This wasn't the perfection of her wilayat. This was the infancy and the immaturity of her wilayat. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in Quran that He wants us to want Jannah and He wants us to fear Jahannam. That's why Allah ta'ala wants us to be. The highest state of humanity is that humanity which is the way Allah wants us to be. So Shaykh Ahmed Sirhindi, Rehmullah ta'ala, Imam Rabbani, Mujadid al-Fisani, his muktubat has made this clear. That was a naqis stage. 
but what you had was a tradition of folk Sufism that glorified these two and that handful of others in lots of poetry and then later in song and dance and kawali and oh, so many things. So some people who were observers who didn't see the tasawwuf of the ulama, didn't see the tasawwuf of Ghazali, didn't see the tasawwuf of Sheikh Abdul Qadir Jalani, they didn't see that. They just saw these folk Sufism. So sometimes they got they wrote against the Sawaf because they were looking at that. They were looking at that. And Imam Zali himself is saying, Don't follow that, right? Imam Zali himself is saying, Don't look at those outbursts and ecstatic utterances. Getting back to this text, know that the unrestrained tongue and the heart that is rusted over and full of negligence and greed are a sign of misfortune. And if you do not kill the nafs with sincere exertion with mujahada, your kalb will not be animated by the lights of marfa, the anwar al-marfa. What does it mean that your kalb will not be animated? Your kalb will not be brought to life with the nur of marfa. Marfa means intimate knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. To know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as He wishes to be known, to know Him as He has revealed Himself to be. That is called ma'rifah. Like Allah ta'ala says in Quran, Ar-Rahman fas'al bihi khabira. That Allah declares Himself as Ar-Rahman. And says, if you want to know what that means, that Allah is Rahman, fas'al, you go ask bihi khabir, that person who is khabir, who is deeply informed of what it means that Allah is Rahman. That being Khabir was later called having Ma'rifah. Ma'rifatillah. It's another book by Imam Ghazali. Al-Risala fi Biyan and Ma'rifatillah. The treatise that explains what does it mean to know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In that he says that to ultimately know Allah is to know that He is ultimately unknowable. Ma'rifat is Ids. That's what he says. True Ma'rifat of Allah is to know that you are Ajis. That you are incapable of truly knowing Him. To truly know God means to know that He is ultimately unknowable. Ultimately unknowable. He is penultimately unknowable. But there is a level at which He is knowable and that is to know Him in, the, in every sense in the way He has revealed Himself to be. To know all of His asmal husna, His names and His attributes. Right? So to maximize that level of knowledge on earth that is called to try to attain marifat. But the end of that, when you hit the ceiling, you realize that you can never ultimately know Allah as He knows Himself to be. That's what it means. That's not humanly possible. Right? Know the answer to some of the things about which you asked me. So remember, there were questions. Remember? There were some questions. Nasiha and Dua. Dua was done from the beginning. Nasiha has been going on. <laughs> right? Now he's coming to the questions. Remember the reverse order? So know that the answers to some of the things about which you asked me, those questions that you wrote, are not brought about through writing and discussion. Unless you try to explain people as well. Not all knowledge can be transferred through Q&A. There's some knowledge that requires a whole BA for it. There's some knowledge to, in order to get you need a whole PhD for it. There's some knowledge that requires just one course. There's some knowledge that can be done in one lecture. Some knowledge can be done in office hours. Some knowledge can be done in Q&A. Some knowledge can be done over email, and some some knowledge can be done in SMS. <laughs> and many times you guys also write emails like that. <laughs> the type of knowledge you're trying to get in the email, we can't give you the answer in that email. You can't get that knowledge in email. That's a limited way of learning. So Imam Azai is telling him that some of the things you asked are also, they're not about about writing and discussion. You have to do amal. It's only when you do amal you'll understand these things. For example, what does it mean to have nasa mutamina? 
who's really going to understand that the person who has nafsulat minna what does it mean to be amongst the sabirin that person who has sabr <laughs> will understand what that means what does it mean when Allah says in Quran inna allaha ma'as sabirin that person who has sabr all the time and feels the mayat of Allah he'll know what it means he'll feel the feelings I can translate for you the meanings right but that's not the same thing as feeling the feelings feeling the feelings of Quran feeling inna allaha ma'as sabirin Feeling huwa ma'akum ain huwa ma'akum ain ma kuntum to feel that to feel fa inni kareeb to feel wa nahnu akrabu ilayh to feel it that can't can happen through writing and discussion if you attain to that state if you get if you acquire that hal that feeling you will know what they are and if not if you can't feel the feeling knowing it is an impossibility in another one of his books Imam Ghazali gives the example of a fruit let's say mango Let's say you've never tasted a mango. I can describe it to you. It is fleshy, it is succulent, it is sweet. But what is that? You'll never really understand until you eat the mango. Right? What does a mango taste like that cannot be explained? In writing a discussion. What does the qurb of Allah taste like? What does it feel like? That can't be explained through writing a discussion. How does it feel to be amongst the muttaqeen? can't be explained through writing and discussion how does it feel to be ulaikahumul muqarrabun it can't be explained through discussion there are those people who have been drawn closer to allah that allah draws them close to him the description of anything to do with direct experience is not furnished through discussion as the sweetness of what is sweet and the bitterness of what is bitter is not known except taste except by experience thus it was related that an important man wrote to a friend of his to tell him uh, what the pleasure of marital relations was like so he wrote back to him and replied with so and so I thought you were just impotent now I know that you were impotent and stupid since this pleasure has to do with experience if you attain it you know it otherwise the description of it is not first you're talking and writing page 26 oh my dear beloved student and disciple some of your questions are of this sort some of the questions you ask me of this sort that they can't be understood through writing and discussion can only be understood through experience and as for those capable of being answered as far as those that could be addressed through writing a discussion, as he had predicted, we have mentioned them in our book, Ihyadamundin. <laughs> Remember he predicted this? He wrote, you know, maybe they're already Shaykh, they're already in Ihyadamundin. Remember that? He says, yes, we mentioned them in Ihyadamundin and other of our works, other books. We mention here excerpts of it, okay? You wanted a short little manual from that to clasp to your chest and live and abide by, right? And you promised to practice until you die. So we'll give you some excerpts from those existing books of ours, if that's what you want. We say, number one, spiritual travel, this is called salik. Wajiba ada saliki arba'atun. Salik means a person who is traveling surat al mustaqim towards the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he's translating into spiritual travel needs four things. Number one, the first thing is an authentic creed. Al-awwalu i'taqadun sahihun. La yakunu fihi bid'atun. True aqidah. Because Imam Ghazali was living in a very tumultuous time. All types of aqaid were floating around. Based on Greek philosophy, based on Ismaili theology. It was a tumultuous time for them. And there were people getting impressed by all these different things. Second. Wathani. Tawbatun nasuh. True tawbah. The contrition here is tawbah. True repentance. True sincere repentance. لا يرجع بعدها إلى الزلة. 
that a person will never go back to being abased after that. The third is reconciliation with enemies. To reconcile with those who have some enmity toward you. To patch up with people. To make up with people. So that no one retains a claim against you. And the fourth is obtaining enough knowledge. Tahseelu ilm sharia Qadra. Get enough knowledge of the sharia such that you are able to perform the commandments of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala such that you know what you have to stay away from. And to know whatever knowledge is required for your salvation. These are the four things that every person, every Muslim, every mu'min needs to know according to Imam Ghazali. Now he mentions that it says the Shibli of Himullah served 400 masters. What does this mean? He was in the khidmat of 400 mashayikh. That's the Arabic. He spent time, he associated with, he kept a company with, he learned from 400 shayukh. And he said, I studied 4,000 hadith. And then I chose a single hadith out of all of them. And I acted in accordance with it. I did amal on that hadith, giving up the rest. For I meditated on it and found my deliverance and salvation in it. The knowledge of the ancients and moderns being all included and I contented myself with it. And it is that, I'll explain to you later what it means that he gave up the rest. Then Nabi Kareem sallallahu said in a hadith. What is the hadith? اِعْمَلْ لِلْدُنْيَاكَ بِكَدْرٍ muqamik. That you should work for this world based on how long muqamika fiha, how long your stay is in it. And work for your akhirah. Based on your long, everlasting life that you will live there. And strive for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. To whatever extent you need Allah. And do those actions that will earn you Jahannam. Based on however much your ability is to endure that Jahannam. So what does it mean that I left the others? It didn't mean he stopped believing in those other hadith. What he meant is he said, okay, what? I need to do amal. Which one can I just do amal on? And doing amal on that will be enough to bring me into the entire deen. So there are hadith like that. That if you do amal on a single hadith, if you truly live according to it, it will be enough to bring you onto the teachings of the entire deen. The Mufassirun have said the same thing about Quran. There are certain ayat of the Quran that if you do amal on them, doing amal on them will bring you onto amal of the whole deen. That's what it means. For example, they say, Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'un. That that person who every second of their day and night is always deeply aware and conscious that I am from Allah and my return is to Allah. That awareness and consciousness, making sure they do amal on that one feeling, if they can feel that feeling of that ayah, that will be enough to bring them onto amal of the deen. Then they'll do amal on everything. If they can make themselves do amal on the one, it, that one will bring them to amal on the all. That's what it means. So work for this world, based on how long you're going to stay in it, which is what? Maximum 80 years? 100 years? And live in the akhirah based on how long you're going to stay in that? So if we had a board, we'd do a little math with you. What's 100 over infinity? Zero. That's what math teaches. Any number over infinity equals zero. What's 1 billion over infinity? Zero. In fraction, 1 billion on the top, infinity on the bottom. Infinity is drawn like this, right? 1 billion over infinity also equals zero. 100 trillion over infinity equals zero. Actually, the, if you look at the end of math and physics, the philosophy of math and philosophy of physics all ends up being metaphysics. It all ends up back to spirituality. 
So that means how much should you work for this world? Almost nothing. Only what you need. Absolute minimal, minimalist, minimalist attitude towards life. Work for Allah spouse in proportion to your need for Him. What is the level of our need for Allah? Infinite. <laughs> We're infinite needy. Ya Yuhannas Antumul Fukara'u illallah. Allah subhanahu wa says in Quran, O humanity, you are faqir. You are absolutely, utterly dependent and needy on Allah subhanahu wa Page 28. Ya Allah if you have knowledge of this hadith, there is no need for much learning. You don't need. <laughs> if you can do amal on this hadith, you don't need a lot of learning and erudition and scholastic knowledge and scholarship. Then he says now, Imam Ghazali, after all, up till now you can see so many hadiths, right? Remember he started in the beginning that I will give you Nasiha from the gold mine, the treasure mine, the Risala and Nabuat of the Prophet Now he's going to move on. Now he's going to move on. And talk about some other sources. And I told you after Hadith is going to come, the teachings of the early Oliyan Mashaif. So meditate on some other quotations. Hatim al-Assam. Uh, Hatim al-Assam was one of the companions of Shakik al-Balqi. And one day his sheikh asked him, that you have kept my company for 30 years. So who is the sheikh here? Shakik, Shakik al-Balqi is sheikh. And his student is Hatim. And he asks his student that you've been in my soma for 30 years. So what have you got out of it? So Hatim Rahimullah replied that I got 8 lessons. In 30 years. How many lessons? 8. Allah Akbar. 30 years. 8 lessons. Inshallah, we'll give them to you in 30 minutes. Hmm? Allah Akbar. How long did it take Hatim to get these 8 lessons? 30 years. How long will it take you to get them? Less than 30 minutes, Inshallah. <laughs> Alright. And he says that those 8 lessons are enough for me. He has hope that if I follow those lessons, they'll be enough for me. They'll be enough for my salvation. So Sheikh said, <laughs> Sheikh said, what are they? <laughs> what are those eight lessons? So Hatim al-Asamrimullah replied, number one, the first lesson, and you will see in all of these lessons, you're going to see two things common in them. Number one, it's going to be, one thing is going to be an observation of humanity. He's a sociologist. <laughs> He's going to observe humanity. And number two is going to reflect on Quran. First, observe humanity. Second, reflect on Quran. Third, learn lesson. Let's look at the first one. I observed humanity. And I saw that every single human had something that they loved. Something they were infatuated with. And some of the things that they loved accompanied them up to the time that they were sick. Some of the things they loved accompanied them up all the way to the grave. But everything went back. He was separated from all of his beloveds. Eventually that human being ended up alone in the grave. If you, just something that you loved was your clothing, that may be taken off in, when your ghusl is being done. If something you loved was a person, a loved one, they may come with you all the way to the grave, bury you in the grave, but then they'll eventually go back also. How long are they going to stay at the grave? Right? Everything that we love is eventually going to go away. So he says, this is what he saw. So I pondered. He saw this. He looked at some empirical sociological reality in the human condition. And he reflected on us and he said... That the best of what one loves is what will enter one's grave and be a friend and companion to one in the grave. And I found it to be nothing other than good deeds. A'mal al-salih. It's the only thing I'm going to take with me into the grave. 
So that should be what I love. That's what he's saying. This is the lesson I learned, that what I should love should be good deeds. So I took them as the object of my love to be a light for me in my grave. You ever think of that? Lighting. Hmm? Hmm. The nur of the kubur. This is going to come from A'mal al-Salih. So I took them as the object and passion of my love to be a light for me in the grave, to be a friend to me in it, so that I wouldn't be left all alone. First lesson, right? Second lesson, is that I saw humanity being guided by their pleasures. Everybody's chasing their desires. Everybody's chasing their desires. They're hurrying to what their nafs wants. So I reflected on the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, فَأَمَّا مَنْ خَافَ مَقَامَ رَبِّهِ وَنَحَ النَّفْسَ عَنِ الْحَوَىٰ فَإِنَّ الْجَنَّةَ هِيَ الْمَعْوَىٰ That indeed that person who has fear for maqam rabbihi, who fears the exalted station and status and rank of his Rabb, and because of that fear, وَنَحَ النَّفْسَ عَنِ الْحَوَىٰ stops their nafs from following their desires, then Jannah will be the permanent abode of that person. So he said that I was certain that Quran al-Kareem is the truth. If only we could have the same yakin. <laughs> said I was certain that with, this is, they felt Quran, they heard it, it's finished for them. They never thought that no, maybe I can still follow my naf desires, make it stick far later. I can follow my naf desires, it's okay, I live in a bad society. I can indulge my nafs a little bit. What can I do? There's intermingling in my college. He didn't think like that. Sami'na wa ata'na. He heard Quran. He had yakin in Quran. He immediately got to feel the feelings of Quran. So I had yakin that the Quran al-Kareem is true. I knew it was true. So what did I do? I hurried to do that. What did I try to do? Nahan nafsan al-hawa. I tried to go against my nafs, restrict my nafs, forbid my nafs from its desires. I saw my nafs desired this, I stopped it. I saw my nafs desired this, I stopped it. I set to work combating my nafs, restraining my nafs from its pleasures, until I was satisfied with obedience. This is mutmain. Remember I told you nafs mutmainna. means to be mutmain, satisfied and content with living a life that is obedient to Allah subhanahu wa And then my nafs gave up. Allahu Akbar. What a human being. Hmm? Sometimes they say, Radhaqas can nafs musaman ban gaya. His nafs became Muslim. <laughs> That's nafs mutmainna. Nafs mutmainna means that person's nafs became Muslim. Nay someday. Third, is I saw every human being is trying to get the things in this world. It's a rat race. Chasing material gain. Trying to get, accumulating the ephemeral things of the world. Then clutching at them, laying hold on them, storing them, keeping them, hoarding them. And I meditated, I reflected on the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Quran, مَا إِنْدُكُمْ يَنْفَدُ وَمَا إِنْدَ اللَّهِ بَاقٍ That what is with you, the stuff that you have, that's just going to fade away. <laughs> that's all going to fade away. And what is with Allah? What Allah ta'ala has, that is everlasting and eternal. That is everlasting and eternal. So I sacrificed the gains I got from the world and I distributed them among the poor. I gave charity. It means that that which was beyond his need, he gave charity. He wasn't trying to have a big bank balance. Hmm? Wasn't trying to have a large account. Wasn't planning that I'll keep savings of 40 years from now I can buy that. He didn't think like that. 
some of the early Muslims, they review is that I just need to save enough money for three days. I have enough money for three days, anything beyond that, I give it away. That was minimalist living. Minimalist living. He wasn't interested in it anymore. He got rid of it. He viewed it as a burden, actually. That's how they used to give their wealth. They felt it like a burden. They're going to have to answer for it. How can they live with all that money when they're people who are poor? So give it away. He said, I gave it away. So that that wealth might become a treasure for me with Allah. <laughs> Real treasure. It's a little worldly treasure here. That will be an everlasting treasure. Fourth lesson. I saw that humanity believed that their nobility, their standing, their izza, their izza and their sharf. These are the words. Their sharf and their izza. Ba'd al-khalqi dhanna sharfahu wa izzahu. That they viewed their honor and dignity and nobility and standing to be either in the size of their nations and tribes. Nationalism. Right? So they were conceited because of it. And I'm an Arab, I'm a Persian. There's a big debate also used to go on in the Islamic period. Right? Are the Persians superior, the Arabs superior? Others had the opinion that it lay on the wealth of their possessions. They thought there is it is how much money they have. What type of car they drive. Hmm? What neighborhood they live in. I thought these were the things that determined whether they were dignified, noble, honored people. Others looked at the numerousness of their sons, how many sons they had. That was their source of sharf and izzah. Some reckoned nobility and standing lane, forcibly acquiring the property of men. Empire. This is an age of empires, well, conquest. Empire and conquest. So we are a great nation. Why? Because we can conquer so many people. Right? This country, the British Empire. Hmm? <laughs> Yeah, I made the small little island. I was amazed at how small England is. You know, it's smaller than 30 states of the U.S. I looked this up in proper geography. If England, I'm not including all of U.K., I'm not looking at Wales, Scotland, Ireland. England would be the 31st state of the United States of America. 30 states are bigger. California, Texas are definitely bigger. Even Missouri and Illinois are bigger than England. But there was a time when England decided to have an empire colonized the world, enslaved black Africa, took all their diamonds, took all their gold, went into India, took all your cotton. You were the jewel in the crown. Huh? You were the jewel in the crown of the British Empire. And that was their pride. That was the glory of England. The fact that she had an empire. And all these colonial powers were competing with another. Italy went into Libya. The Dutch went into Indonesia. France went into Algeria. Because that's how they viewed that was the rivalry. Which one of us is greater based on which one of us can get more? How many more people can we conquer, invade, occupy, enslave? This is the history of the West. The first history of the West is their Industrial Revolution. The very famous British historian Thompson, the making of the English working class. He has explained that first they squeezed their own people. <laughs> Marx didn't become a Marxist out of the blue. Marx became a Marxist because he saw so the first wave of their industrialization, they squeezed their own people like anything. 14-hour days, right here in England. 14-hour days in factory, 14-hour days in mines, giving them pence. Then when they squeezed their own people, that wasn't enough. Then they went and squeezed other people in the world. So yes, now they're rich countries. <laughs> That's how they became rich. There's a history to how the West became rich. That's a history, alhamdulillah, the Muslims could never have done that. We never squeezed our own people like that. And we never dreamed of going and invading somebody for that reason to squeeze them and to take their money. So we couldn't have become industrialized world. 
we don't accept such an unethical, a base, inhumane type of industrialization. The third way they're rich is this whole financial scam. <laughs> you know, the United States has like, what was it, 12 or 16, I can't remember, trillion dollar debt. Let's say it was 10 trillion dollars. Well, you give Pakistan 10 trillion dollars, <laughs> and you give us 10 trillion dollars debt, we'll become one of the most advanced countries in the world also. <laughs> okay. So, whether it's on money or property, right? One group held that it consisted in wasting money, spending it lavishly. They thought that was theirs. I'm a big spender. Hmm? High roller. Hmm? That's what makes me have izzat and sharf. So, Imam Uzzai says that I reflected on the saying of Allah. That the most noble of you in the eyes of Allah are the ones who are the most pious. Your taqwa, your piety, your spiritual goodness, that's what is your honor. <laughs> honor lies in that. So then he said, okay, so I chose taqwa. Okay, see the sadad So I chose taqwa. Believing the Qur'an to be the truth. This is Islam. <laughs> He's learned some real lessons. This is why I told you he learned how to feel feelings of Qur'an. So I chose taqwa because I believe the Qur'an to be truth and I viewed their opinions and assessments and evaluations to be utterly empty. Pure falsehood. Page 32. Fifth lesson is that I saw some people, and again I looked, I keep reflecting on humanity. I saw humanity blaming others, slandering others. Always blaming others for their problems, right? Slandering others. And I found that that was due to their envy and jealousy regarding money. Envy and jealousy regarding fame, status, celebrity status. Envy, some, sometimes envying somebody because of their knowledge. So I reflected on the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Quran al-Kareem. That indeed, Allah says that we have distributed amongst them their ma'isha, their sustenance, fil hayati dunya, in the life of this world. And I understood that this taqseem of risk, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who decided, if somebody has more money than me, I shouldn't envy him, because it's Allah's wish that he has more money than me. So if I'm upset about him having more money than me, I'm actually upset with Allah. Because <laughs> it's Allah's wish that he has more money than me. So what did I do? So I did not envy anyone. And I was content with the distribution of Allah. Could you imagine? This, this is called peace. Islam means the creation of salam through taslim. Islam means the creation of peace through submission to Allah. Islam doesn't mean peace. The word salam means peace. Islam doesn't mean submission. The word taslim means submission. Islam means salam through taslim. The creation of peace through the submission to the will of Allah. So he submits to the will of Allah and now he's at peace. No envy, no jealousy, no rancor, no hatred for anyone. At inner peace with himself. Sixth lesson. They saw some human beings, they act with hostility towards others. Due to some reason, some motive, some cause. So, in other words, he said that I saw that every human being has some enemy. Has some feeling of enmity and hostility. So I reflected upon this verse that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Qur'an. That indeed shaitan is an enemy for you. You should take him as an enemy. <laughs> Why do you have enmity towards other people? When Allah Ta'ala is saying you should take shaitan as an enemy. So I understood. What did he understand from this ayah in Quran? He felt the feeling of Quran. After he heard this Quran, what did he feel? 
then enmity towards anybody else other than shaitan is not even allowed. It's useless. All my enmity, hostility should be directed towards shaitan. Achieve. Number seven. I saw everyone striving in earnest and working intensely in quest of their food and livelihood to the point that they thereby fell into what was dubious and banned. They fell into the doubtful and the prohibited. They fell into the doubtful and the prohibited. They wanted more and more and more. They wanted a bigger, bigger car, bigger, bigger house. They took the mortgage on interest. They consulted ten scholars. Nine said don't do it. One said do it. Bismillah. They consulted ten scholars. Ten said don't do it. They consulted five brothers. Five brothers said do it. They said Bismillah. Hmm? <laughs> Brother X said, it's okay. Well, Brother X is Arab. They must know. Allah <laughs> forgive You need to travel the Arab world a little bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Alright. Just being Pakistani, being Arab, being Indian, being Malaysian, hmm? being Indonesian, that's not a criteria for knowledge. Ilm is ilm. Knowledge is knowledge. Nationality doesn't bring any knowledge with it. No nationality brings any inherent piety with it. So what did he do? He said that, okay, I reflected on the ayah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Quran al-Karim, وَمَا مِنْ دَابَتٍ فِي الْأَرْضِ إِلَّا عَلَى اللَّهِ رِزْكُهَا That there is no creature that walks the face of this earth except that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has taken it upon himself to give them risk. So what do I have to worry about? Allah, I'm taken care of. <laughs> I'm taken care of by Allah. So I severed all my, uh, and I understood that my provision depended on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that He had guaranteed it. So I occupied myself with worshipping Allah and severed my hopes from other than Him. It doesn't mean He stopped working altogether. But He stopped having hopes that so-and-so would do such and such a thing for Him. So-and-so would hook Him up. Such and such a thing would happen in His life. Just kept simple life. And kept all of His hopes and aspirations in Allah. Eighth lesson. So there are eight lessons. Said I saw everyone relying on something that is created. They were relying, having tawakkul and etimad on something that was created. Some on the dinner and dirham, dinar and dirham means the pound and dollar, hmm? the pound and the euro. Some on wealth and property. Some on their business and trade, and others on some similar created thing. So then I reflected upon this ayah. This is feeling, feelings of Quran. وَمَنْ يَتَوَكَّلْ عَلَى اللَّهِ فَهُوَ حَسْبُهُ That that person who has tawakkal on Allah, Allah subhanahu wa is sufficient for them. He is hasb, hasb, sufficient for them. So then he said, إِنَّ اللَّهَ بَالِغُ عَمْرِي That in Allah subhanahu wa will bring his hukum to pass. قَدْ جَعَلَ اللَّهُ لِكُلِّ شَيْءٍ قَدْرًا Indeed, Allah subhanahu wa is made for every single thing, a qadr, a miqdar. A particular amount. He has apportioned everything out. So he says, but that's it then. <laughs> now I know. <laughs> All I have to do is have tawakkul on Allah. Allah will be sufficient for me. So I relied on Allah. And He is my... Um, this is the famous thing. For huwa hasbi wa ni'mal wakil. Ni'mal mawla wa ni'mal nukil. He is sufficient for me. The best thing for me that I have is my Allah. So after saying these eight things, top of 34, what is it? He told the shaykh, the Shaykh, if 30 years, 30 years I learned these eight things from you. So Shaykh Shaykh al-Makhrimah told him, May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant you success. And he says, now look what he did. 
I examined the Torah, the Zabur, Psalms of David called Zabur, the Injil, the Gospel, and the Furqan, the Quran al-Kareem, and I discovered that all the four sacred books of Revelation revolve around these very same eight lessons. So thus, whoever acts on the basis of these eight lessons, they act in accordance with all of the four books. So then Imam Ghazali says, after this, Yahweh, my dear beloved student and disciple, you have understood from these two stories that you do not need extra learning. <laughs> it says, same Quran, if you could start feeling feelings of Quran like Hatim bin Asim did. <laughs> Those same ayat that you studied so long in the madrasa, you read how many, how many tafsir on them. <laughs> if you could start feeling the feelings of Quran, that would have been enough for you. <laughs> if you could start feeling the feelings of Hadith, that would have been enough for you. Now I'll explain to you what is indispensable for the traveler on the way of truth. Ma yajbu al-saliki, sabil al-haq, that person who is a salik on the path of truth. Here we come now, Ghazali is going to articulate a bit more in detail now, after giving all these advices from Hadith and these stories, he's going to talk now about the sawaf. Because I told you in his other work on Munkid Min al-Dalal, he says that the seekers, who are the best category of seekers in Ghazali's eyes at least, were the people of the Sawaf. So what is that path? What does it entail? Okay, so we were going at quite fast speed. I'm going to have to go a little bit slower here because there are going to be some things we need to comment on. Number one, know that the Salik, so specifically, right, going to try to use certain Arabic terms here, know that the Salik must have a sheikh and a murshid and a murabbi know that the salik traveler is salik master is sheikh guide is murshid instructor is murabbi murabbi means a person who does your tarbiyya tarbiyya right to rid him of bad traits akhlaq is sayyah through his instruction by means of the tarbiyah of the shaykh, and replace them with good traits. The significance of instruction is comparable to the work of the farmer, the gardener, who uproots thorn bushes and removes weeds from the midst of the crops, so that his plants are in a proper condition and his yield is brought to perfection. So Imam Ghazali is using three classic terms, shaykh, murshid, and murabbi. Some of you are familiar with the Urdu tradition. Maybe you thought these were Desi terms. Sheikh, page 35. Sheikh, Murshid, and Murabbi means simply speaking that the traveler needs a teacher. Sheikh, Murshid, and Murabbi. Right? Means that the traveler on the spiritual path needs a teacher and a guide. And the analogy that Imam Ghazali uses is that of a gardener or a farmer. Some of you may have heard, I think I said this once in Masjid Hamza here, right? That in Urdu it's called the Mali. This is the gardener. That when they plant a seed, you see there are two types of seeds. One seed that does not have a gardener. One seed that has a gardener. The seed that doesn't have a gardener, nobody even knows it's there in the soil. People will walk over and grind that piece of earth with their shoes. That seed that has a gardener, he will protect that soil, he will water that soil, he will give fertilizer to that soil, he may transplant that seed into a pot until it sprouts into a seedling, he will put a stick in it 
so the seedling can wrap its stem around it and grow. He will put that pot out in the sunlight. When it becomes strong enough, he may transplant it back into the earth. When it's in the earth and the plant grows even further, if there are any weeds that creep up and crop up around it, he will trim the weeds away from his plant. If inside the plant, that's shaitan, when the weeds come around it, shaitan and makhluk and dunya try to divert it, the shaykh will trim the weeds from his student. If there's some inner rot in that plant, has some disease of the leaf, some leaf goes bad, he will trim that leaf so that the disease doesn't spread to the rest of the plant. The inner rot is the nafs. That is one type of seed. And there's the other type of seed that has no gardener. So Imam Ghazali is saying that that person who is a salik, who wants to travel the spiritual path, needs a teacher and an instructor. The traveler must have a shaykh to refine him to refine him, this is ta'deeb, yu'addibuhu, ta'deeb, to teach him adab, to teach him adab, and to show him the way to Allah subhanahu For Allah subhanahu sent a messenger to his creatures in order to show the way to him. And when Nabiya Kareem Sassam passed away, he appointed deputies in his place. What does this mean? The Nabiya Kareem Sassam said, Al-Ulama'u Walathatul Anbiya. Ibn Rajab al-Hanbali has written a whole commentary in this one hadith. Al-Ulama, which you can get in English, this is why I'm mentioning it to you. It's called Heirs of the Prophets, translated by Imam Zaid, Zaid Shakir. Al-Ulama, Warathatul Anbiya, that the Ulama are the inheritors of the Prophets. In what sense? In what sense? They're not going to get Nabuwa. They're going to keep alive the mission of Nabuwa. What was the mission of Nabuwa? That the Prophets were guides to people, guiding people to Allah. So the Ulama's job is they are also guides, instructors, trainers of humanity according to the manual of the Qur'an and the Sunnah. The criteria for the shaykh who is fit to act as a representative of the Prophet who is the warif? Which shaykh? Which, who is that person? Who we can view as a shaykh, who is a legatee, who is a warif of Nabiya Kareem Sassam? Is number one that he must have ilm. He must have the knowledge required to guide people to Allah. He must know that Qur'an and Hadith which he is trying to guide people towards. Right? He doesn't have to be a alim in all of the formal Islamic disciplines that he has to know, fancy ilmul kalam and ilmul aqaid and balagha and prosody and uruz and kawafi and those things. That's not required. He has to have ilm of Quran and sunnah because that's what he's trying to guide people to. Alright? Yet not every alim, not every alim is worthy of being a sheikh. Just having knowledge is not enough. So then he says, I will explain to you some of the shaykh's characteristics by way of generalization, lest everyone start claiming that they are shaykh. Lest everyone start claiming they are shaykh. We meant every alim. This is the context. Remember, he's writing for ulama, right? Lest every alim think that I'm an alim, now I'm also shaykh. Right? We have that in this day and age. Many ulama want to be shaykhs. In the early Islamic period, shaykh was a specialized type of alim. For the vast majority of Islamic history, you had Mufassirun, specialist scholars of Quran, you had Muhaddithin, specialist scholars of Hadith, you had Fuqaha, Usuliyin, specialist scholars of Islamic law, and you had Awliyaullah, specialist scholars of Marifatullah, of the knowledge of Allah Taala, specialist scholars of Tazkiyyah. Right? Page 36, the Imam Ghazali says, now this is mentioning According to Ghazali, what are the qualities that are going to 
you're going to want to look for in a shaykh. Number one, a person who is averse to love of this world. That that person who stays away from love of the world does not have material love. It's not trying to amass wealth. Not trying to become wealthy. Number two, is away from love of fame. Doesn't want that somebody should call him Shaykh al Mashaykh al Alamat al Hajj. Doesn't want to have fame. It's not seeking celebrity status. Not seeking it. Is not seeking fame and celebrity status. Third, that person who themselves has been a student of a Shaykh. In Urdu, Jisper Khud Ragra Chalai, Wo Ragra Laga Sakta. Nice Jisne Khud Ragra Khai, Wo Ragra Laga Sakta. But in English, that person who himself has been disciplined and trained, who can become a drill sergeant, that person, that soldier who went through basic training and also had a drill sergeant, that person who also had a master sergeant, master chief who put him through intensive training, that person can become a trainer. Who can become a trainer? That person who himself underwent training. Third condition understood? Fourth. And not only did he have a trainer, but that trainer had a trainer, that trainer had a trainer in a continuous and unbroken chain of transmission of trainers, an unbroken succession and chain of trainers back to Nabi Karim Sassam, the first trainer. So for example, Sayyidina Rasulullah some trained Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq took over the training of Sayyidina Salman al Farsi Sayyidina Salman al-Farsi to train the grandson of Sayyidina Abu Bakr Qasim bin Muhammad bin Abu Bakr He trained. That's why they're called Tabi'een. They followed the Sahaba. Tabai Tabi'een. They followed the followers. We are Tabai 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 That's who we are. But we can only become that if we are following somebody who followed somebody who followed somebody who followed somebody who followed somebody back to the Tabai Tabi'een. So that's the that fourth condition. Fifth condition, who is proficient and disciplining his soul with little food, speech and sleep. <laughs> not that he tells you to pray, nafil, do zikr. He's not able to do zikr himself. He tells you to do istighfar, can't do istighfar himself. He tells you to do durud and salawat, can't do durud salawat himself. He tells you that you need to fast or you need to do whatever it is and never was able to do it himself. Can you accept as a master sergeant some guy who's got a big belly and can't even do push-ups? Would you ever let him make you do push-ups? No way. You do push-ups because the master sergeant is more, so I don't know your UK English, more diesel than you, huh? I don't know. Maybe that's American English. Huh? More stacked than you. Because <laughs> he's more stacked than you, he's going to tell you to drop down and give him 10. You're going to drop down and give him 10. Because if you told him to drop down and give you 100, you can do it. <laughs> And if he's some old, you know, big belly guy, he tells you to drop down and give you 10, you'll give him 10. <laughs> right? That's training. You have to see. Really. Whether you look at the army, you look at sports. Look at the way that people have made a formal science and discipline of training the physical body. Look at the regimens that they've made. Basic trainings. Intense. Let alone, there are all these specialist forces and all types of crazy training that they go through. 
or athletes, crazy type of regimes they go through, or triathlon, or decathlon, or you know, even the bicyclist, or crazy amounts of training, off-season training, during-season training, spring training, and they all have coaches. None of them think, no athlete doesn't have a trainer. There is no athlete, world-class, internationally competitive athlete that doesn't have a trainer. Look at tennis. Every tennis player has a coach. The coach is not even as good as them in tennis. Whoever the number one player is, his trainer is... He beat his trainer six love, six love, right in straight sets. But even he knows, I still need to try. I'm number one in the world in tennis. I still need a coach. I still need a trainer. So if you need a trainer for developing the physical self, what in the world makes us think we don't need a trainer to develop the spiritual self? Hmm? So the Shaykh should also be proficient in disciplining his own nafs with less food, less speaking, less sleeping, and with a lot of ibadat and zakat and extra fasting. By being a student of that Shaykh, by being a student of that Shaykh, that person has made themselves into made a way of life for themselves based on proficiency in virtues such as sabr, salah, shukr, tawakkul, yakin, raza'a, hilm, right? A whole series, kanat, tamaniyya, tamaniyatun nafs, hilm, tawadu, ilm, sidq, haya, wafa, muqar, sukun, etc., etc., and such like, huh? And such like. In consequence, that person, that Shaykh, is a light from the lights of prophethood. There's this concept of Nur and Nabuwa that is mentioned in Hadith that Nabi Aksum brought a Nur to this world. Right? And Allah Subhanahu wa used this metaphor about himself as well, the very famous Ayatun Nur. All of you would know this Nur, Mishkat, Masabih, right? Allah Subhanahu wa likeness. So it's a nur. Hidayah is mentioned as nur. One of Allah Taala's names is a nur. It's a light that illuminates the way from the darkness of our sins into the radiance of obedience. Right? So Nabi Karim Sallam is like a sun, like the sun. Shaykh is like the flashlight. <laughs> what do you do when there's no light outside? When the sun goes down, <laughs> you need the flashlight. You need the flashlight. So Mashaikh are like solar-powered flashlights. <laughs> they solar-powered flashlights that they themselves learn from the teachings of Nabi Karim Sallallahu and they guide others on the path on that basis. Now watch what Imam Ghazali is writing, and again Imam Ghazali is over 900 years ago. However, finding the like of him, finding a Sheikh, as Imam Ghazali is saying, finding a Sheikh is the way I just described, is unusual. Harder than finding red sulfur. This is a metaphor in the Persians and Arabs. It's a very rare thing to find red sulfur. Whoever is favored by good fortune in finding a sheikh, such was the cause that we mentioned, and the sheikh accepts him, accepts, okay, I accept you as my trainee, should respect him outwardly and inwardly. The word venerate is a bit inappropriate here because venerate has the concept of worship, has a connotation of worship here. Should respect him outwardly and inwardly. The Arabic is ihtiram. Ihtiram. If your Urdu is good, you would also know ihtiram. Ihtiram doesn't mean an instance of worship. Right? Ihtiram means to respect. Inshallah, we'll stop here.
After Maghrib, if you notice, we have skillfully eliminated your tea break. After Maghrib, you, make, you can sit here with the tea. But after Maghrib, it's going to be a race to the finish, inshallah.